enjoyed our past few weeks where we have talked about rediscovering uh, not just Christmas, but these specific themes of Christmas of, of hope and peace and joy and today love. And so I ran across this story that in 1922, F. Scott Fitzgerald, some of you may know that name, a very famous American writer, um, he published a book about a fictional character named Anthony who was a New York socialite. He, he was a presumptive heir to a, a tycoon's fortune. His grandfather was extremely, extremely wealthy. Um, and so because his grandfather was so wealthy and, and Anthony was going to inherit all that money, he really just didn't have much of a work ethic. He, he never really had a passion to go after work because why? I mean, if you're just waiting for your grandparent to pass on um, so that you can inherit this massive amount of wealth, why worry about work? And so that's the way he lived his life, just kind of unworried about work and focused on it. And um, there was uh, never time that he really um, desired anything. He just kind of lived off his grandfather's wealth and really didn't care about anybody or anything else. And there were a couple events in this character's life that changed his perspective on things, changed the way he saw things. The first thing that happened in his life was he met this young lady, and he was just enamored with her. He, he fell in love with her, and he eventually married her. And, and so that kind of changed his perspective on life just a little bit. And, and the second thing that changed his outlook on life, or really changed his life, um, and, and imagine, I told you, he's this wealthy uh, guy who, who doesn't really have a work ethic at all. He got drafted into the army to fight during World War I. Now that will change your perspective if you're not used to working, is, is my understanding. But he got drafted, and originally he had no desire to be there. He just did the training just because he had to. There was no uh, patriotic duty to be there. He was just there because he had to be, and this is all that there was. And there was one thing, though, that kind of sparked him to want to, to pursue a little better, to go a little deeper into this military existence that he was now finding himself in. And it was a conversation he had with an officer one day because this officer that outranked him by several rankings told him, he said, listen, you're a smart kid. You've got good intelligence. You're going to be a good soldier, but I think you'll make a good officer too. And all of a sudden, this guy who was used to being separated from everybody else, used to being on this level, and suddenly found himself on this level, the totem pole, he's like, you know what, that sounds pretty good. This idea that I can be separated and I can have this difference between me and all these other common people that I'm used to sounded pretty good. So he gave himself a little more uh, gumption to go to work. And in the book, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote, he wrote about this character named Anthony, and he says this in the book, he says, Anthony marveled and how quickly the system had grasped him. He was a soldier. All who were not soldiers were civilians. The world was primarily divided into those two classifications. It occurred to him that all strongly accentuated classes, such as the military, divide men into two kinds, their own kind and those without. He says, the clergymen, there are clergy and laity. To the Catholic, there are Catholic and non-Catholic. To the African-American, there are blacks and whites. To the prisoner, there were the imprisoned and the free. And to the sick man, there was the sick and the well. And as I read that quote this past week, I began to kind of think what that list would look like today. And I imagine it would be so much longer because all the things that he mentioned on that list, all those classifications, all those divisions that he wrote in 1922, they're all still there. But i got to be honest with you, if we look over this past year, it seems like this past year has drawn a whole different set of dividing lines that almost everywhere we look, there's been a new line of division, a new line of separation between us 
and them, between us who are and those who are not, or us who have and those who do not have. And so I think we've reached this point in our society this past year that, man, these highlight, these differences between us and what's dividing us, they, they've either been there, man, they have just really highlighted this year. We've almost reached a point where we can't just um, agree to disagree anymore. The, the, our differences, we can't just celebrate and tolerate them anymore. We've got to eliminate them. And so we, we come to this point in Christmas, this time in Christmas, after this very difficult year, and i got to be honest with you, that I think that we as Christians, that we as a nation, that we as a world, we really need to hear the message of Christmas because of what it says. Because the message of Christmas is that there is love. And there is love beyond all the differences that are dividing you. There is love beyond every division that you can imagine this morning. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage in uh, 1 John chapter 4. And I know it's not part of the official Christmas story. We go to Luke chapter 2 for that. Uh, but this tells us the essence. This is the reason that we have Christmas. And so if you've got your Bibles, Luke, or, or excuse me, not Luke, 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read through this. It's kind of this idea of why do we celebrate Christmas, and how do we rediscover this love of Christmas that brings us unity, even apart from all these dividing lines that we find ourselves kind of entrapped in. So if you've got your Bibles, you can join with me. Uh, the words will be on the screen here beside me as well. And so 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And whoever, or excuse me, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. And if we love one another, God remains in us. And His love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. God, this morning and this season and this very time, God, I pray that we are overwhelmed by Your love. God, I pray in this very moment, You are kicking down walls and You are climbing mountains and You are breaking through the darkness for some of us, God, that we will feel this never-ending love of God. A God that pursued us and a God who came after us even when we didn't want it, even when we didn't deserve it. God, you came after us anyway. God, I pray this morning that we are just encompassed and surrounded by your love. And God, I pray this morning in this time, in this season, God, that we see the whole reason that we can come and celebrate, the whole reason that we have candles and we have this Christmas idea is because it is entrenched in the love that is you. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us. God, I'm praying this morning that you are speaking clearly to the heart that doesn't feel anyone loves them or cares for them. God, I pray that you're speaking clearly to the hearts this morning of us who know what it feels like to be loved, but we haven't given it away to somebody else. And so, God, I pray that as we work through this text, God, that you will speak. 
And God, I pray that we will listen. I pray that we won't listen just because this is what we're supposed to do and this is where we're supposed to be. But God, I pray that we will listen because we are just overwhelmed by who you are and the love that you poured out on us, Father. So God, I pray that you will speak. And I pray that we will listen. And God, I pray this morning that we will discover a depth of love that we have not known before. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Susie Caspin uh, is an author, and she wrote a poem several years ago called Undivided. And I found it this week, and the first verse of the poem sounds pretty good, to be honest with you. It sounds like ideas that most of us could kind of get behind. See, the first verse, she writes this. She says, I am for one world undivided. I am for one world without fear and corruption. One world ruled by truth and justice. And most of us sitting in this room or most of us watching online, that sounds like what we want, right? That, that sound, wouldn't we enjoy a world where there is no fear? Wouldn't we enjoy a world where there is uh, uh, no corruption? Wouldn't we enjoy a world that is fully ruled by truth and by justice? I think if 2020 has called out for anything, it would be for that. And so what she starts this idea with sounds really good. This sounds like what we want. But the second verse of the poem gets a little more interesting because she starts to get this idea of this is what we want and this is how we can get there. This is, if this is the world we want to live in, then this is how we achieve it. So let me read for you the second verse of the poem she wrote. She says, I am for one peaceful world for all where hate has been overcome by love and everyone is guided only by their conscience. So understand her, her thought here. The, the way to achieve a world without fear, a world of truth and justice, is if we let hate be overcome by love. Right? That's the way we achieve this world that we all want, is to have a world that is where hate is overcome by love. And that sounds great, so how do we do that? Well, if you notice the last point of her line there, or the last line of her poem, it says that she believes this will happen. The only way that love is going to ever overcome hate and change this world we live in is when we are guided only by our conscience. Okay? Only. There's a key word in there. Only. She doesn't say, I want people to be guided by their conscience and other Only by your conscience. So if our conscience is the only thing that will guide us, according to her, then love will overcome hate, and we can have this world of truth and this world of justice and this world of peace and no corruption and all these great things. And that sounds nice, except for the fact that her, her idea of what our conscience looks like is very different than what us in here would agree with. Okay, Because I want to read to you another excerpt, just a couple lines from her, the same book, what she wrote just a little bit earlier before she included this poem. This is what she says in, is inside of us. Earlier in her book, she says that we have a universe within us that mimics the universe outside. None of us are just black or white, are never wrong and always right. No one, no one exists without polarities. Everybody, get this, has good and bad forces working with them, against them, and within them. Okay, did you hear what she said? That inside of us, there's this, there's this small little universe. That, that inside of each one of us, this is her, her, what she's saying. That inside of each one of us watching here today, whether in person or online, there's this universe. Okay, a whole, the whole universe going on inside of you. All right. And this universe has both good and bad in it. And this universe that's inside of you really just mimics and reflects what's on the outside of you. Okay? 
which brings up this kind of interesting question. If what's on the inside of me is really just a reflection and mimicking and mocking the same thing that's on the outside of me, if what's on the inside is really no difference, it's just a smaller version of what's on the outside, then how's it ever going to make a difference of the world that's on the outside? Let me ask it to you this way, or think about it this way. If my conscience, which is supposed to be my only guide, okay, this is the only thing that's supposed to guide us, is our conscience. If the voice inside of my head that controls my good and bad is controlled by both good and bad, which is what she said, that there is both good and bad within us, so if the voice in my head, the conscience that controls me, is both good and bad, then how do I ever know if I'm doing good or bad? We don't. So this is where I'm getting to. This is the point that I'm trying to get you to understand is that if, if we're going to have this idea that love can change things, love is going to make a difference, then the kind of love that's going to make a difference cannot come from within inside of me. Because let's be honest, if we were just small versions of the universe around us, then wouldn't the love inside of us already made the difference? Wouldn't we already feel this world of justice and peace and truth? And wouldn't we already feel all those things exist because we're just inside the same as we are outside? side. No, we're not. You see, the problem is she's looking for a place of love. She's looking for a definition of love that comes from the inside of us. And what John makes very clear in this passage is that if we're going to see love that makes a difference in this world and love that makes a difference in our life, then it's got to come from something beyond us. It's got to come from somewhere else outside of us and outside of this universe that we live in. We can't find the kind of love that changes the universe within the universe itself, because if it could, it would have already. And so love has to come from somewhere else. You see, this love that's going to make a difference has to come from somewhere or something beyond us and something beyond this universe that we're a part of. And that's the first lesson that John teaches us, that love has a source, and it is not this world, and it's not Michael Rakes. It is nothing inside of me. The source is God himself. I want you to look with me. What he says in verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because God, or excuse me, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, we've talked about this before, that if an author in Scripture mentions the same idea or the same word, if he mentions the same word in a short period of time over and over and over, he's really trying to get your attention to this, okay? So if you went back and you looked at verse 7, you're going to see this word love at least three different times in that verse. You're going to see it at the very beginning, you're going to see it in the middle, and you're going to see it at the end, okay? Now, even better, if you saw it in Greek, you would see it four different times, okay? We'll come back to that in just a minute. And so, very clearly, John is starting this section about love. And to be honest with you, John probably writes more about love than any other author in the New Testament, okay? He wrote the gospel. It's all about love. He wrote these three letters. Man, they are packed about love. He loves the idea of love, but he's very clear that, that if we're going to have love at all, we got to know where it comes from. And so right in the middle of the beginning and the end of this verse, he sandwiches right in the middle. This is your source of love. This is love that flows this way, love that flows that way. It has a source. It is from God. Which, understand, that if love is from God, it is not man-made. Now, that doesn't sound big to us, but you've got to understand that we don't live in a world that shares our worldview. Because the worldview of love is that love is something we've evolved into. Love is something that we have created. Love is something, this idea that we get to, we, we've shaped it and we've formed it on our own. And so now we get to define it. 
But that's not what John says. You see, we didn't evolve into love. We didn't evolve into what love has become. We don't get to, to shape love how we want to. We don't get to define it. We don't get to replace it or redefine it because we didn't come up with it in the first place. God did. You see, we don't get to set the limits of love, which means we don't get to include anything in this definition of love that God doesn't. Also means we don't get to exclude anything in this, ver- in this version of love or, or definition of love that God doesn't exclude as well. The limits of love are established solely by the one who establishes the idea, and it is God himself because he is the source of love. Now I want you to hear what that means. It means I can't look at someone else, and we'll get down to this a little bit later. It means that I can't look at someone else and say they aren't loved by God because God is the one who gets to set those limits. I don't get to include somebody else or something else in love because God includes it. Or I don't get to exclude what God has included. I don't get to set the limits or change the limits. I simply get to work within the limits that are established by the source of love, by God. And then John takes this a whole step further in verse 8. He says not only is love from God, as he said in verse 7, but he goes into verse 8 and he says, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So love is from God and now God is love. It is part of the nature of of God to love. It is, it is that this is what he is, is. Not all that he is, but part of what he is. He is this loving God, and he cannot exist without love. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Think of all the things that we know and we see around us that God, honestly, he can exist without those things because he has. All of us sitting in here and all of us watching online, we would all agree with this idea that that God is eternal, which means there's never been a time that God has not existed. But we know there was a time when I didn't exist. I know there was a time when this world didn't exist. And so understand that this world and and Michael Rakes and all of us, we don't get to define love because love existed long before we did. Because God could not exist without love. He could exist without us. He did it. He's done it. But he couldn't exist without love. So as long as God has existed, love has existed as well. And so we don't get to define it. We don't get to shape it. We don't get to to change it in any shape, form, or existence. Because love isn't dependent on us in any way whatsoever. Understand that God doesn't need us. Love doesn't need us to exist. It has always existed because God is love. See, that's not all he is, but it's essential to who he is. There is a loving quality about him that doesn't eliminate the rest of his characteristics. It doesn't eliminate his holiness or his righteousness. It doesn't eliminate his, his, his justice that he has. You see, one author put it this way. He says, instead, we know that the holiness of God is love, that the righteousness of God is love, that the justice of God is love, that everything God does in one way or another expresses his love. See, we kind of come to this point of Christmas and we come to these difficult times in our life and, and maybe we look back over this past year and we're like, God, where have you been in all of this? God, I don't feel you in any of this. And everything that God has been doing in your life and through this year, there has been love in every aspect. Even when He has judged us, even when He has, has punished us as loving children, He does it out of love. You see, I've told my kids before, the reason that we discipline you, the reason that we don't let you do everything that you want to, the reason that we draw these boundaries and limits is because we love you enough to care for you. You see, sometimes we've lost that idea of God. 
We've lost this picture of God that says, hey, God is a loving Father. God is loving. And sometimes what is loving means that He does what's best for us, even if we don't know it, even if we don't see it. So I want you to be clear this morning, this idea that we serve this loving God, that every aspect of Him drips with love. I want you to be clear. This is great news because there are people sitting in this room and there are people watching online, there are people who watch this later that need to hear this message desperately. Because some point in your life, Somebody has looked at you and they have simply told you a lie. That you are unloved and you are unlovable. At some point in your life, maybe not you, maybe it's the person sitting beside you, maybe around you. But but folks in this world, there are people who they have lived this story that either because of the way they look or because of the things they've done, or because of the status they have, or because of something about them in their life, somebody's looked at them and said, you know, nobody loves you. Nobody cares for you. Nobody would ever want you in any way, shape, or form. You just need to know, nobody cares about you. And what they're really saying is that if you didn't exist, nobody would even know. And I want to share that story with you. And I want to share that with you because I can tell you that teenagers live this day in and day out. I can share with you the number one reason that people end their life is because they think this is true. They think the fact that there is nobody, nobody that would miss them. They think there's nobody that would love them. They think that nobody would care for them. They think that they've reached a point where regardless of what happened in their life, that they've reached this point that Satan has told them this over and over and over, that nobody loves you. But i got to tell you that according to Scripture, nothing can be further from the truth. You see, what it tells me is simply this, that you are loved, that God Himself loves you. There is a God in heaven that looks down over all of His creation, and He looks down on you. When He looks down on you, His heart is filled with love. And I want to understand that as long as God exists, His love for you exists because it is who He is. You can never have a moment in your life that you are not loved. Think about that. You have never existed in a moment of time, even in your imagination, where you were not loved because God has always loved you and I want you to understand this isn't just anybody who loves you this is the God who who created the heavens and the earth this is the God who paints every sunset and sunrise you've ever seen this is the God who created the beauty of the skies and the the beauty of the birds that fly in them this is the God who created flowers and scents and smells this is the God who defined everything that we look at as beautiful this is the God who created all that and this was the God who looks at you and says I don't care what anybody else says about you I love you. And if there's anybody that knows beauty, it is the God who created it. And so don't ever, ever let anyone look at you and say you are unloved. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares for you. Nobody would dare love you. Because you just look at him and just say the God of this world, the God of all creation loves me. And I want you to see how we know that. He loves you because He's demonstrated it in His actions towards you. We know His love exists because He doesn't just tell you about it. He shows it to you. You see, when we talk about love, let's be honest, talk can be pretty cheap sometimes. When we use this idea of love, sometimes we just throw it around like it doesn't really mean anything. I can tell you that I love lots of stuff. Most of you know that I love ice cream. Most of you know that I love chocolate. That's just cheap talk. You see, we talk about love as if it's this noun that I get to possess, but often we should be talking about this love being this verb that I have to show and I have to demonstrate. Now, I'm just going to be straight up and honest with you. If you take me to Dario, 
I'm going to show you my love for ice cream. Okay, I'm going to demonstrate that very clearly, not in the way Scripture does, but I'm going to show you because I'm going to take action on some ice cream, and I'm going to demonstrate what love looks like. All right, so you can you can see it in a very tangible way. But God has this very tangible way of extending His love to each one of us. I want you to see what He says. In verse 9, this is how God demonstrates his love for us. In verse 9, it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. And I love, I mean, this, this verse is just dripping. Man, we could spend all day right here, but I, we won't. I, we just could. This word revealed is this, sometimes it's translated as manifested or revealed in a way that what you couldn't see before, now you can. And, and not just see it, but you can see it in a whole different light, in a way that um, something like a sheet has been pulled back or like a curtain has been drawn open, all right? And you begin to see stuff that you didn't see before, all right? So I want you to think for just a moment. For you guys that are sitting in this room, you can picture this a little better. For you guys that are watching online, you have to use your imagination for just a moment. But if we were to open these blinds or if we were to open these curtains, or, or these, whichever ones you want to, okay? If we were to open these blinds up, apart from not really being able to see, but you could see if they were regular glass there, you'd be able to see cars that are in that parking lot, right? Okay, so if you guys, everybody looked over here and you, uh, those blinds were open, you, it was revealed to you there were cars in that parking lot. Now, I want you to understand what we're talking about because those cars didn't show up when the blinds opened, all right? Those cars have been in that parking lot since most of you got here. Right? So what we're saying is that God revealed something. He showed you something that has always existed. Remember, as long as God's existed, love's existed. So he's going to reveal to you, not because he started loving you when he sent this son, not because he started love this way, but he shows you. He, he pulls back the covers, and he lets you see the depths of love in a way that you couldn't see it and you couldn't understand it before. We know those cars are out there. They didn't just show up, but when we pull back the curtains, we're allowed to see them. And love has been that way. It's always been there. And so we get this better understanding, this thorough understanding. That's what revealed is used there. He pulls back this curtain. If we read on in verse 9, it tells us how he does it. It says, God's love was revealed among us. It was pulled back so that we could see it in this way. That God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God reveals love. He shows us love. And that by sending His Son into the world, you see, this is the reason this text is so beautiful for Christmas. Because this is ultimately what the Christmas story is. Yeah, we think of Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and, and the angels. We think of all of that as Christmas. And that is. That's the events. But the reason for Christmas is here this is the, the reason, and ultimately the whole Christmas is everything. It is all about the love that God has always had for us. He's just going to show it to us in this moment. When we look at the baby in a manger, that's the revealing of his love. that's always been there for us. And he's revealing it in this very specific way. You see, we look on in verse 10 with me. It says that love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if you've got a different translation, it might not use the word propitiation because that's a hard word to say over and over and over. And it's, it's a hard, we don't use that word very often. A different translation may say that it's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And by using that word, it's a little bit of a play on words. Because in verse 9, we've got the revealing, the pulling back of the sheet to show you what's there. But in verse 10, we have the atoning sacrifice. And to atone means that you literally 
cover up something. It means you lay a sheet over something. So get what he's doing here in verse 9 and 10. God pulls back the curtain on his love by throwing the curtain over your sins. He, he reveals his love by covering up what you couldn't cover up yourself. By, by, by covering and concealing the thing that shouldn't have been there in the first place. He, he does that by showing you what's always been there. This beautiful connection and what John makes clear is the way that God reveals His love to us in this, the sending and the sacrificing of His Son. You see, love isn't just what we say. It's in the sacrificial giving that we do. It is costly. Love that is revealed by God is not this kind of love that just gives whatever. The true love is given not that last-minute gift because you forgot and you've been putting it off and you're going to show up at Walmart on Christmas Eve. And I know some of your stories. I've been there. I'm not going to lie. And you're, when you do that, let's be honest, you're not getting the best. You know what you're getting? What everybody else has picked over. What everybody else has left. What nobody else wanted is what you're going to give. Now, let's be honest, men. We're not going to ask for raised hands. But is that really the love that you have for your wife? That it's just whatever's left over. This is the best that, that was there. And I could have given you something better, but I just didn't have the time or energy to do it. You see, so often we have limited love, and we put this limit on love. It's just, it's just whatever it is, because this is my limits. But remember, we don't get to limit love. You see, love that God reveals gives the best. It gives the most. It gives not the leftovers. It gives the very, very best that there is. And so I want you to understand that God doesn't give the leftovers. He doesn't give just what is left. He gives the very best to those lost humanity. He gives the one thing that is the most costly to Him in everything, the one Son that He has. In the Heart of the Sportsman class that we were in this past week, they've been watching this video series by Andy Stanley. Um, and... Uh, he this week in the video series, he talked about uh, kind of the angel's perspective. And it's not a Christmas series by any means, but he talked about the angel's perspective leading up to Christmas. It was just a short part of it. And I'll be honest with you, it really changed the way I thought about the, what the angels were, were kind of thinking through. Because could you imagine, just for a moment, being an angel in heaven before Christmas? Okay, so let's, let's back up let's say nine months before Christmas, before it all really starts happening. And God says, listen... Gather around, angels. Here's what's going to happen. I'm getting ready to send my son. And I'm going to send him into the world. And according to Andy Stanley, from the angel's perspective, you could just heard this <gasps> gasp all across heaven. And you can imagine the angels be like, no, you, you, can't, you can't be serious right now, God. There is, there's no way that you're... you're we, we know you're funny, we know you love, but this is a whole different level of humor that we don't understand, God, because this can't be true. There's no way you would send your son into the world. God, have you seen that place? God, it's, it's filthy. It's nasty. God, have you seen the, the people that are there? Have you seen how they treat each other and what they do to each other and, and the way they behave around each other? God, there's no way that you would ever send your son, your only son, into that world, into that mess. And, and, and God, are you really going to send him as a baby? God, he's so vulnerable and he's so fragile at that moment. There's no way that you can send your son there. How about you just wait? 
How about you just wait a couple hundred years, maybe a couple thousand years, wait until they got these nice things called hospitals and these birthing suites, and there can be this team of doctors around your son when he's born, and and, and that way we can kind of know everything's going to be okay. Wait until there's vaccines that come out, and they're going to keep him healthy. Why don't you just wait a little bit until things get a little bit better? And, And maybe just wait until like penicillin. At least when he gets the cold or the sniffles, he, he can take a shot or something. Just, just wait just a little bit. God, it's, it's just it's too messy right now. And then maybe, maybe just wait until, not penicillin, but maybe morphine. God, we, we've heard your plan. It's painful. It's ugly. How are you going to send him there without even a, an ounce of something that's going to deaden that just a little bit? Why don't you just wait until they come up with morphine? It's only a couple thousand years See, God's love had waited long enough. And 2,000 years ago, the very first Christmas, he sends his son and he reveals this massive depth of love that he gave the very best and he sacrificed the most that he had so that we can fully understand how reckless his love is for us. And it's always been that way for us. See, but there's something else that John points out that we just can't look over. John says that, yeah, love has to be sacrificial, but it also has to be unearned. You cannot earn it. God doesn't send His Son because we earned it. He doesn't send us Christmas because we've done something amazing. In fact, that's the amazing thing. He sends Jesus because we cannot earn it. Because we do not deserve it. In fact, if we look back at verse 10 really quick, He makes this clear in two different ways. He says that in verse 10, Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And send His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that even when we didn't love Him, He loved us. And He sent His Son. Even when we didn't love Him, He gave His Son. And even when we didn't want Him, He sent Him anyway. And Jesus comes and He dies. Not because we loved Him, even when we didn't love Him. And He sends His Son to die for us because we were sinners. Because we had something that needed to be covered up. Because we had something that we couldn't take care of ourselves. He sends Him because of the very reason that we couldn't do this on our own. He sends Him because we were not just making mistakes in our life. You see, so often we think of sin, oh, it's just a little mistake. I didn't mean for happen. I want you to understand that when we sin, it is shaking your fist at God. It is yelling at God, saying, God, you're not doing your job. I can do it better. It is, God, I'm actively rebelling against you, and I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. That's when he sent his son to die for you and to die for me. Not because we loved him or because we were good. It's because we couldn't be good. It's because we were fighting against him. It's because we were rebelling against him. And he says, the only way they're ever going to come back to me is if I show them this overwhelming love. The only way I'm ever going to win their hearts back over is if I show them how deeply and passionately I love them. We didn't earn Christmas. We're given Christmas because we couldn't earn it. In fact, I want you to think back over the entire Christmas story. Not one person in the Christmas story is there because they earned it. Mary doesn't get to be the mother of Jesus Because she's some special person. Because she did really good things. She doesn't get to be the mother of Jesus because she followed the rules right. The shepherds, the lowest of society, they they didn't win the Shepherd of the Year award to get to be the first ones to visit Jesus. They don't get to this band of angels showing up and singing to them and saying all these great things to them because they did something special. No, it's completely because God chose this. 
It's complete because this is where God said. There's no special privileges. This is just what God does. It's given to them by grace, just like the love that he has for us. It is given to us completely by his grace. Not because we earned it, but simply because we could not. See, John goes to great lengths to show that there's this direct connection between this God of love and what he's shown to us and our responsibility to show it to other peoples. And it started all the way back in the very first verse that we read. All the way back with the very first word in verse 7. You see, love not only defines us, but it also propels us to do something else. And we saw it very first back in verse 7. He starts off with, dear friends, let us love one another. You see, this is where I told you that if you saw that in Greek, it would actually be the word love four times. Because where it says, dear friends, it should practically be translated beloved ones or those who are loved. You see, you are loved by God. And so therefore, because you are loved by God, it is propelling you to do something else. Because you have seen and experienced the love of God. That's what it means to know Him. Because you've seen and experienced the love of God, then you are propelled to reflect that love out to other people. Do you see that? He says, because you are loved, beloved ones, you are loved, now give it to somebody else, is what he's saying. And then in verse 11, he adds to it. How do we give this love away? What does it look like? We've seen what his love looks like. But what does it look like for us to love? What does it require of us? In verse 11, he goes on to say, the same word starts that verse, Dear friends, beloved, those who are loved, if God loves us in this way, then we must love one another. If God loves us and He demonstrates our, and He demonstrated His love for us through His actions, then guess what we've got to do? We've got to demonstrate love through the same actions. And so if He loved sacrificially, then that's how we should love each other. If He loved giving the best, that's what we've got to love, is by giving the best. If He loved by giving to those who didn't deserve and those who couldn't earn it and those who couldn't repay it with zero expectations then that's the way He calls us to love because that's the love that He's shown to us. And you see, His love causes us to reach across the barriers. It causes us to to reach beyond all the differences, all these lines that we've drawn to divide between us and them and between me and everybody else. The love of Christ says, no, you kick all those lines down because I'm coming. And the love of Christ reaches over every barrier that's ever stood in between you and somebody else. The message of Christmas is that love can unite us beyond what fear and hatred has caused to divide us. He goes on in verse 12, says that no one has ever seen God. If, one, excuse me, if we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is perfected in us. Perfected means to be made complete or, or made perfect. It is to finish what one has started. It is to finish this. And so get this, He loves us. He works in us and through us so that we can love other people. And so guess what? Then His love is working within them. It is the completion of the circle. And so understand that if you aren't feeling love this Christmas, it may be because you're the part of the circle that's broken. It may be because God is pouring love into you and He's given all this love into you, but you're not pouring it out to complete the circle. His love is not perfected in you. It's not reaching the destination because you're withholding it from someone else. And you remember how we're supposed to love? Not because they deserved or earned it, just because they are. So let me hear you. Let me tell you that again. If you are missing that loving feeling of Christmas this year, it may be because you've broken the circle that was supposed to be complete because you're withholding love from somebody that God is pouring love on and pouring love into. 
See, Jesus' love is reckless love because it causes us, enables us to cross these borders and to tear down these barriers. It reaches out above the disagreements. The fear that drives out by love is the fear within ourselves. You see, if there is anything within us, it is not the love that will change the world. If there's anything that is in us, it is the fear to stop that love. It is the fear that, that blocks us from other people. And love overcomes that fear of others. And it may not look like us, and they may not sound like us, and it may not share the the same experiences or perspective that we do, but love says, I don't care because I'm coming after you like the love of God did for us. And so maybe, just maybe, if we're going to rediscover love this Christmas, then maybe it starts by reaching across the divides that begin in your own family. Maybe it's within your own home or within your neighborhood or workplace or your community. And Jesus at Christmas and all the times, he calls us into his loving presence and invites us while we're there that we need to be making room for everybody else. Whether we think they deserve it or not, because the truth is we don't deserve to be there either. See, there's this humility in this kind of love, this willingness to put other people first. And, and sometimes if we're going to rediscover love, it starts with a very simple step. It starts with an action and maybe just a gesture or an invitation. Sometimes being willing to love means that you're just willing to listen and not defend. Maybe if we're willing to love, it's willing just to stop and listen and see someone else. Not as another, but as just someone who is equally drawn to the love of God. Someone who is equally welcomed into His presence. Someone that He equally died for. Someone He is equally propelling into His miraculous, all-consuming love. You see, this is the gift of Christ. This is the message of Christmas. And we're going to be on Christmas Day just this week. And the challenge is simply this. To rediscover Christmas by rediscovering this overwhelming, never-ending, all-encompassing, all-welcoming, reckless love of God. Let this be what defines you. And let this be what propels us beyond any division that we've ever faced. Let's pray together.